0: At Sport Clips Haircuts, they hairdo like no one else hair does. Yup, I just said that. I didn't read ahead. That's because not only is it the home of champion haircuts, they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game, and it should be. With MVP haircut experience, your haircut gets turned up a notch. That's because the MVP is more than just a haircut. It's a spa day for your hair follicles. It's a seven pressure point massage and shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel. Oh, well, a steady stream of sports plays on television. Man, my testosterone is coming out my ears. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. Man, what a claim. It's a game changer.
2: Hi, my name is Patrick Stewart. And, uh, you know, I always would like to do that as if I were on, uh, you know, the radio. Okay, <laughs> please. Hello, my name is Patrick Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it always falls away, doesn't it? Anyway, and I... <laughs> I am so delighted oh. and honored oh. to be here because the last time we could have done this, I wasn't available. That's true. You remember? I do. Have you right. held it against me?
0: No, I haven't held it against you. You said you weren't available and I said that's too bad and it was all planned and we were ready to go and then I walked down the street and I saw you eating a delicious meal in a restaurant.
1: Oh no! I
0: thought that asshole! And you saw me and I saw you duck down underneath the table. <laughs> no, you were very, you, it was not your fault, you couldn't make it, but you're here now and I'm sure you're delighted to be Conan O'Brien's friend. Oh yes! Of course.
2: <laughs> I knew I'd miss something. But I thought, no, that's not important. That's a Freudian slip. And I feel proud, happy, honored to be Conan O'Brien's friend. God bless you, (laughs) sir.
3: Fall is here, hear the yell. Back to school, ring the bell. Brand new shoes, walking blues. Climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are going to be friends.
0: Hey there! Welcome to Conan O'Brien needs a friend a podcast that gives much more than it ever takes. Don't know what that means? Yeah. Just said it. What do you mean? I put no thought into these introductions. Sona, nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you. Your leg is get going a little fast today. I know. Are why. you nervous about something?
1: Yeah, I'm really scared to be here. Well,
0: I don't know. <laughs> You might be nervous. Your leg is going like a jackhammer. <laughs> can I, be,
1: I think I had too much chocolate before we recorded. and I really think it's like sugar is, is pumping through. We my all veins. had
0: a different place at this round table that I grew up at uh, in our kitchen. And my mother, my seat was next to my mother. My mother was to my right. So I was on her left and I'm a, I am have a jiggly leg. Yeah, yeah restless legs. Restless leg syndrome. Syndrome. and it goes like a jackhammer and my mother used to just grab it like a vice and squeeze it and go, don't do that, people will think something's wrong with you. Oh no. (laughs) Yes. And so we cleared that up. No one's ever thought something's wrong with me.
1: (laughs) That's what it was. Yeah. (laughs) It was that one thing. Yeah,
0: she didn't tell me don't make 900,000 hours of crazy fucked up content and put it all over the internet. (laughs) Kept that leg still. Maybe if the leg was going, I'd be perfectly normal.
3: Maybe you should get a full leg cast, like a cast iron cast. Or then your f- whole body
0: would start. Going. Fake legs so oh. that my torso goes through my torsos there. But then I just have fake and then I could like add calf muscles make them more attractive. Where are your yeah, legs? Where, where are what? your normal legs? Where How do are you your get around? Legs? I don't know, I would have them removed.
1: Oh, <laughs> it's not like they're hidden?
0: I should have had them hidden and I don't know why I went to remove. <laughs> that
1: was yeah, so extreme. I question that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bad idea. I
0: don't know, I'm just I'm going ahead with it anyway. So
1: this what? is always.
0: Yes, I've always had a restless leg and I don't know why I called you out on yours because you really don't. You're I calm don't have most of one, I'm usually what chill. A, what about you, Gorley? Do you have any ticks like that or any well,
1: leg stuff? Well, I have the
3: actual restless legs condition at night when you get those horrible restless legs. Yeah. I don't know what
0: that
1: I is. I don't know what that is either. It's yeah. like a
3: syndrome. It's a thing where you, you get like, pins and needles and you can't sleep and your legs feel crazy.
0: Oh, that sounds what? serious. Oh, are yeah.
3: you okay? I probably not. Well, you should get checked out. I have. There's nothing you can be done about it. It's neurological. They don't know what causes it. Uh. Oh, I didn't mean so to that. So when bring you lay down. Down, down,
1: your legs have pins and needles?
0: Yeah, or they feel like they're like half asleep, but you got to move them even though that doesn't really help. Okay, I'm going to ask our listeners if there is a doctor listening or someone who knows about this condition. Could you please contact us because you might there might be something going on here.
1: How do they contact
0: us. Uh, I'm sure Sky Edward writing. will tell us phone number that they can leave a voicemail on. Oh, no, I've, I've spoken yeah. to my daughter. I, I okay. love it. I love that we're a podcast that has a phone number. There's a phone number one five 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 Wrigley twenty two. Um, you've spoken to a doctor. I have, yeah. Was it a good doctor or like some sort of kooky doctor that you might have? Oh, it was a witch doctor. I thought so. No,
3: it was it was my doctor, my general practitioner. Everything's fine. Don't don't it's no one should ever. Well, if I, anyone, no,
0: <laughs> you're kept awake at night by pins and needles feelings in your legs. Don't go away. It's interesting. I don't know what that is. What I if think... it just turns out you guys have termites? Oh, <laughs> it's no. Just an infestation. You're being eaten. Yeah, you're really being eaten alive as you lay in bed. <laughs> at least That's the problem. Be a
3: solution I'd take it.
0: I uh, yeah, I have an I have an itchy uh, back, like my right shoulder blade. And recently, uh, my dermatologist said there's absolutely nothing there, and it's just neurological. It's oh. an itch that isn't there. It's a phantom, phantom itch. itch. Yeah. Oh my Ooh, god. Weird. Yeah. Do it's, you have a
1: back scratcher?
0: Uh, we did have one. Then he fired then him. It, yeah. <laughs> I found it. <that> it's illegal <laughs> to pay a man that little to scratch your back. Uh, the Better Business Bureau got involved. No, I. I think my wife found one and then it went, it disappeared. And now I swear to God, we'll be watching TV at night and I'll stand up, get off the couch, go over to the wall, find a corner. And oh I'll, I'm God. like a bear in the yeah. woods. I start raking my back across the edge of a doorway. Whoa. Because, and I'm told it's quite common. It's something that happens. It's neurological. It's not real, but it feels real to me. Oh. We're fucked up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: this is why we've been driven to this. This gig, I think. You both,
1: you both. have things that like are really not diagnosable. Well, They're if... just neurological. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's that's weird. Well, I don't know. You might have stuff too. You just, I don't think. Do you go to a doctor and stuff? What do you mean? I don't know. You, you're, you have. You're, I know that your parents are very old school. Yes,
1: they are old school. And you
0: tell me all the time that your father grew up in a village. Yes, right? yes, and uh, that. So I don't know if you grew up. I mean, did they? I don't know what What, happened. Did they what? Did you grow up in a small village? Okay, you know
1: what? We weren't as dependent on doctors as a lot of people are, but maybe that's a good thing. Sure. But I also... I don't think Uh. I have anything with my body that's like a neurological thing. I mean, I feel like you guys... Like, that should be more concerning. But you're both like, eh, whatever.
0: When you say it's not a bad thing that you never went to the doctor as a child. Yeah.
1: You're, I say we didn't rely on doctors as much as a lot of people. You said
0: dependent, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's not bad thing. The first time I met your dad,
0: I noticed that he has a pipe going through his head. (laughs) And I said, what about that pipe? And he went, oh, it'll, it'll go away on its own. He said this. This uh, truck ahead of me dropped this off on the highway. And went through my head, 1969, but it'll be okay. How
1: do you pick on my dad? So I love much? your dad. I know
0: he's got the best mustache I've ever seen.
1: My dad's the best. What would their
0: remedy be for his neurological phantom itch? Yeah. What would your mom say to do? Because I do um, trust. She has some old like folk remedies. She
1: does have. She's very much in the old sort of like voodoo thing. Like when we wanted to have babies, I think I told you yeah. she like buried a baby under a bush. Not
3: a real.
1: Not a real. What sounds Like she what? should have just not given you
3: the baby.
0: baby. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> she <laughs> give you the baby. Wait, wait a minute.
1: A doll. A baby doll. I <laughs> well, guess so what? You gotta, it'll
0: work. Can I say something? You've got to say that. Okay. You've got to say that was <laughs> so upsetting. <laughs> you did bury the lead. You had so upsetting. We really wanted a baby, so she. She buried a baby in the backyard. <laughs> what a what a monster. Yeah, no, it was
1: no, under it was a bush. A, it
0: was a baby doll. It was a
1: doll. She buried a doll under a bush. Is, was it, one of the,
0: is it a talking doll? No,
1: once we had the boys, she was like, it, it, uh, this, it's done. It can, worked.
0: Can I say something? I was by your house. Remember the last time? And I was walking around the backyard and I stepped on what I a loose piece of grass and I heard, Mama. <laughs>
1: Mama. That baby's still
0: alive. No, it's a talking baby. Yeah. Where is, is those- this baby?
3: So somewhere there's just a dirt-crusted baby sitting in your mom's house? Or yeah. What?
0: Probably hundreds of them. Oh, oh God. Yeah, Blue House. E- are you for listening? For every day that Sona was married. For every day Sona was married, she would do it. 900 plastic baby dolls were stolen yesterday from a Walmart, plus a shovel. <laughs> If police find either one, please <laughs> oh, report. Oh
1: man.
0: So uh yeah. Yeah. But that's...
1: I don't know. I mean, they would. I think I really think you two need to figure out why these things are happening to your bodies.
0: I think we should talk to your mom. Yeah.
1: I, I think my because mom could fix it. Can we have
0: her in? Yeah. Your mother, uh, because I've noticed in the past when I have not felt well, you have told me, Oh, here's what my mom would do. And it's it sounds pretty cool. Like yeah. your mom has good. I'm 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 saying this. It sounds like she has. Really good remedies for some things. The burying the plastic baby. Uh, that there's a there's little... a
1: few missteps, but for the most part, she's been pretty. Like my brother and I are 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 pretty healthy people. Like we don't, you know, we don't. We've been we've we're okay. We're alive.
3: Yeah, you don't sound convincing. Yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: we're alive. Well,
1: okay, Mister Needle Legs and weird itch on my back. Phantom <laughs> itch. <laughs> Restless
0: itch. legs. Thank you very much restless you leg
3: t- You two are fucked itch.
1: up and you're getting mad at me because of the way I'm dealing with my we body We never shit. got
3: mad at you, you and we're not you fucked you, up. You
1: come from a very judgy place.
3: I don't think so. No.
0: Yes,
1: you are. You're coming from a very this judgy place. This whole thing place. started
3: with you going, you guys need to get that fucking checked
0: out. <laughs> yeah. You went from telling us, you got to get that fucking checked out to my mother buried a baby in the backyard. <laughs>
3: That we're allowed to judge,
0: by yeah. the way. By the way, that some judgment is in order. Uh, I think. It
1: works. Like I, I have two sentencing. Of, how do you think my two children happened? You think that just well, happened? I
0: have a theory. <laughs> 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 Did she bury two uh, no, boys, baby dolls? She
1: just wanted children of some kind. Co- I don't think it matters how many you bury. How does this
3: work if you're like, mm, I really want a turkey sandwich. Do you just bury a turkey sandwich? Oh my or- God. Yeah.
1: No, you just go get a turkey sandwich, Matt. That's how it works. Okay.
0: now for- you have to bury that sandwich. <laughs> Then hope another sandwich comes. And then when that sandwich doesn't come, you have to buy that sandwich and bury it. You die of starvation with 900 turkey sandwiches buried <laughs> underneath the you, ground. Go,
1: go rub your back on the wall. Oh, oh go I rub your
0: back. Go rub your back. I love that put down. <laughs> hey, go rub it. You know, true story. My mother, if she was losing an argument to one of my sisters, and I swear to God I was there for this, she said, ah, go wash your face. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I heard this in like nineteen seventy. <laughs> My sister, one of my sisters are going like, no, but mom, I don't know. she was like, oh, go wash your face. I'm gonna go use wash that. your face. I
1: like, I'm going to use go wash gonna your face. I'm going to use that on
0: Liza. Next no, time she's don't talking use that on Liza. Next time she's saying, you know, who, how dare you smash all the dishes in the kitchen, which I do occasionally. Oh. It's sort of like a Zorba the Greek thing, you know, like, yay, Zorba. <laughs> it is good luck. Yeah. And then uh, she'll, I'm going to, and she gets mad at me. I'm going to go, I ah, go wash your face. I'm going to try it and see how no, it works.
1: No, I don't want you to say it, Eliza. But I want to definitely say it to someone. Ah, uh,
0: right. go bury a baby. Ah, uh, go bury the baby. Okay. Uh, dark. Very dark. It is dark. You got to say plastic baby yeah. or baby doll. Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. not what you did.
1: I know. I should have said that.
0: Well, your own fault. Anyway, okay. my guest today, horrified that he's here.
1: <laughs> I know. He should leave.
0: He should leave. He should beam out. Talented actor who played <laughs> <No>. Captain <laughs> Jean-Luc Picard in Star Trek The Next Generation and Professor X in the X-Men movies. Now he's written a new memoir, Making It So. Sir Patrick Stewart, welcome. I'm going to start by saying something I don't get to say often, which is, I think one of the last times I saw you, we kissed full on, on the lips. It was on my show, and I forget how it happened. Something was in the air that night. I've only kissed two men full on on the lips. One was you. The other was Mr. Ryan Reynolds. We did a piece where we did a parody of a the notebook good
2: track record yeah, and
0: yeah, yes yeah, yeah. i am killing it with the fellas <laughs> yeah and but uh, you, you how,
2: how you, do we compare well
0: Ooh. okay i'll say this i my soul left my body it was uh, it was an incredible experience to kiss you you, you came around to my desk and yeah. you grabbed my head and it was a powerful kiss passionate it, passionate
2: yeah well i think i can, wanted to demonstrate the authenticity of my feelings mm-hmm. and um yeah this i that's think that's what i told the Police, yeah. Of what... <laughs> <laughs> this is what something had happened between Ian McCullen and myself. Yes. Which included a kiss on yeah. the lips. Yeah. And um, I think you brought that up and something about, you know, nobody has ever kissed you like that. Like, man, here we go. Here we
0: go. No, it was so fantastic. I just put it out there, not thinking this is where we'd go, and suddenly this man was up on his feet. He came around, he swept me off my feet powerful kiss
3: it's taking everything in my power not to say i've never been kissed like that yeah yeah, yeah yeah i won't
0: yeah I won't, don't go near him there's this, i'm putting up a salad guard between the two of you. you
3: you got in you you your physicality changed like you were gonna do it <laughs> and then i got
1: it's
3: <sighs> like, <sighs> oh, so excited no, so
0: it's, patrick was like a cobra rising up looking at you do i do i not but um i have to say the one difference with uh with uh ryan reynolds is he has a technique, I guess. We're kissing, and it was a longer kiss. Yes. And you can look at it on video. It's a parody of The Notebook. He reaches over and he started fondling my ear. Oh. And I thought, uh, I just got a weird peek into Blake Lively's life yeah. at this moment. <laughs> Very strange. Anyway, uh, welcome. Thrilled to have you here. You're a consummate... Actor, you've got, I believe, the greatest voice in the world. Uh, You've accomplished so much in your life, and you've also written this book. Man, you have lived a life. I will say that. You have lived an incredible life, and you've written about it beautifully in this book, which tells your story. And there's so much in here that I didn't know. Starting with your childhood, you're such a good actor. You've gone through this transformation that I would never in a million years believe that you came from the North. Very little means. I don't know how else to say it. What you would call, I think you refer to it in your book as sort of the Rust Belt of England. Mm-hmm.
2: What's this area? What's it called? Well, it was the West Riding of Yorkshire, a kind of division of Yorkshire. It's such a big county. Mm-hmm. It's the Texas of the UK. Right. And that it was divided into uh, North Yorkshire, West Yorkshire, and East Yorkshire. And then Margaret Thatcher came along. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> she created South Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. I think she was actually made queen of South Yorkshire. I'm not quite sure about that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but she was. But it's it's well known as an industrial center. Sheffield, of course, which was only a few miles away from where I grew up, was the steel center yes. of England, uh, probably of Europe at the time. You cannot judge
0: a book by its cover, but I would have thought, well, you know, Sir Patrick Stewart posh upbringing posh education uh silver spoon in his mouth that's those are the assumptions that i would have made and uh, you just have to learn this lesson again and again and again in your life you had in a lot of ways a victorian childhood
2: because that's what my wife has named it my wife is an american from nevada she will say oh he might as well been living in the 19th century right (laughs) It's like way, Dickensian. It, yeah. it was it was Dickensian. Yeah, and um, I mean,
0: you talk about uh, first of all, no money, toilet outside that you share
2: with neighbors. Not quite. The, the building yeah. had four toilets in it, right. but each family had their own toilet. Now it was just a toilet. That was all, and there was no lighting, no heating no running water, except to flush the toilet. Yeah. Because we lived in what was called in our neighborhood a one-up, one-down, mm-hmm. there was one room downstairs. You stepped in off the pavement, sidewalk, mm-hmm. and you were in the living room of the house, and there wasn't anything else. There was a cellar downstairs, and you went upstairs, and there was one room upstairs. So one-up, one-down. And um, it was very, very basic. Yeah, I mean, the toilet aspect of it just being one of them. And, uh yeah. It wasn't really until I went to secondary modern school because I was not academic. You're whispering, but there's still a very
0: powerful microphone. You're whispering I into was a mic.
2: Not <laughs> academic. <laughs> no one must know. <laughs> so we had no shower, we had no bath. What happened on a Friday evening was that. My brother who and i uh, my brother was five years older than mm-hmm. me, I had another brother, but he was seventeen years old, me so he was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, we would carry this zinc bath up from the cellar I mean these were my father told us to do this. It was our job on a Friday evening, and we would have a, a big boiler that stood in the middle of the floor, a gas boiler, and that would boil the water for the bath. Then we would ladle the water after the gas into the bath. And the first person to take the bath would be my father, because Friday night was the beginning of the weekend. Yeah. Which was often not a good thing in my house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then there was a whole complicated evening in which my elder brother would bathe in the same water that my father had used while the water was heating up again. Then he would empty that. And because he, he was made to do that, then he could leave for a Friday night himself, even though he was only, you know, 10 or 11. Then we hailed the water. Actually, no, we didn't. We had a rubber tube and we put the end of the rubber tube in the bath. Oh my God. And I would suck it up, which always meant that you would never. Tell this is me getting about worse you. and oh. worse and worse. Do you want to change the subject? <laughs> no. No, go ahead. No. I could go downhill or I could go, go right downhill. Down. Please, you're on the Downhill podcast now.
0: <laughs> this podcast's original name was The Downhill. So you would suck and suck and suck. <laughs> is that what we're talking about here? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's just, uh, uh, you know, you talk about. People lighting the gas lanterns outside, you know, the street, oh, people yes. on the street. And, yeah. um, Victorian. and of course your father was away in the war, yes. uh, and then came back and you said that was not a good thing because he was short tempered. There were a lot of issues with your dad.
2: Yeah. But nowadays he would have been diagnosed instantly as having serious PTSD. Yeah. He was involved in uh, the fighting uh, all over Europe. I mean, in France, in Italy. He was in Cyprus. um, And he was a parachutist as well. Oh, my God. Um, So I never saw him for the first five years of my life. I was born in 1940. The war had already started. He had already joined up. And later, he was an ordinary soldier uh, with the King's Own Yorkshire Light Infantry, Mm -hmm. the Coilies, they were known as. And um, he ended up as... Regimental sergeant major of the parachute regiment. Mm-hmm. And ex- I mean, the highest rank you can get to as a non commissioned officer. And um, he was brilliant at that job. My, my one favorite remark I ever heard about that was soon after he died, a neighbor who I knew had. Served with him in the army, s- said he saw me in in a pub, and he said, "Let me buy you a drink, because I want to toast your dad." In this, he said, he was an extraordinary man. He said, "You know, when your dad walked onto a parade ground, the birds in the trees stopped singing." Wow. Oh, wow! I mean, gives still gives me goosebumps. Yeah, and and and
0: um, it's so true that uh, I've talked to. I think my wife's father was uh, similar. I mean, he is of a similar vintage. My father-in-law, and he, when he was born, uh, you know, his father was off fighting in the war. And then he remembers being five years old. Oh, and this insane. guy shows up.
2: Yeah.
0: And it's a guy who's been on a destroyer for four or five years fighting the war. Uh, not in any cuddly mood. <laughs> you know, it's just a, it's a very, it's a, I think it was a very common occurrence.
2: I think it was. And I think for many people, many men, and some women. The the war came as a release. You know, they, my, my father traveled. Actually, he'd spent most of the 20s in India. He, The moment that his girlfriend was determined that she was pregnant, mm-hmm. that she was having his child, he instantly joined the army and didn't marry her.
0: I almost did that when my wife told me she was pregnant. <laughs> No, but- I was in my 40s, and I was just like, I'm joining the army. And she said, there's no war, and you're too old.
2: But I just wanted out. Yeah, yeah, I know.
0: They wouldn't have me. I failed the physical, so it didn't work out.
2: but you were having a child, nevertheless.
0: (laughs) Very suspicious about that child. Seems Italian to me, but anyway. Okay, and moving on. (laughs) He was born with a mustache. (laughs) You know, it's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations.
1: But I like blaming it on not having reception.
0: I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. You know, our podcast—we've been doing it for five years now, and it's changed over oh, the years. Yeah, yeah. It has. I I've gotten better looking, I think, stronger. Oh, um, you no. seem less mentally sharp.
1: I oh these I things d- just happen. Was you know, other things. Well,
0: whatever. With like time. the studio,
1: we got a new studio. Oh, that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And we got a new studio, but uh, you know what? One thing hasn't changed, and that's the great taste of Miller Lite. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this on the drive in this morning. So much has changed, but not the great taste of Miller Light. You were s- thinking
1: about Miller Light this morning? I on the shouted way in? it
0: out the window at the car next to me, and the guy gave me a thumbs up and said, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> it was the original light beer, and to this day, it's still the best one, if you ask me. Yeah. I like to have a good time. You know that. Oh, good- uh, you
1: love to party. My
0: name is Conan Goodtime O'Brien, yeah. and I get together with my gang, my squad, and we crack open some Miller Lights, and all is good in the hood undebatable quality, great taste. And guess what? I ran the numbers myself, only 96 calories. Wow. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. It's a light beer that tastes, guess what? Ding dong, open the door, like a beer. (laughs) The original light beer since 1975. Red Sox won the pennant. Anyway, times change, but you can always enjoy the great taste of Merle Light. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Light delivered right to your door. Visit millerlightcom Conant, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Hey, you sell beer? Yes, we do. job, <laughs> Miller Light? Yes, we do. <laughs> hey, Muppet, why are you working here? I'm not sure. Celebrate responsibly. <laughs> Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces.
2: Before we move on from my father, which I know we must, when his demob in Mm demobilization, called Mm demobbed, he he was called by his colonel, his commanding officer, um, into his office to see him. And and my father was a couple of weeks away from leaving the army, and uh, the colonel asked him what his plans were. And he said, well, I'm going home and I'll get a job. And the man then told him about connection that he had um, at the Dorchester Hotel, mm. where you've probably stayed. In, I've been to the Dorchester, sure. In Park Lane. Yeah. One of the top five or six hotels historically, as well as present day. And he said um, they need a doorman, an assistant doorman, and that job's available. And you can have it as soon as you get out of the army in a couple of weeks' time. Um, there is uh, an apartment, or a flat, as we would have called it. I'm, you know, bilingual now. Sure, yes, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, you will have a flat to live in. And your wife, if she, uh, if she uh, feels like it, we could give her a job as well. She could work in the hotel and you would live there with your children. And uh, my father was very pleased about it. it sounded per- and it would have been perfect for him. But my mother refused to leave her hometown, oh. which she had never left ever before. She had lived in this small Little community in the West Riding of Yorkshire, and said, No, I will not go to London. I will not now, I've often thought my father could have said, That's fine. You stay here. I will go to London, and I will send you money through the post, and you yeah. can come down and stay, but he didn't. He stayed, and that was the beginning of the end for much of his life, as he was concerned. He was a weekend alcoholic mm. Monday through Friday, nothing rigid about that, and of course. The first five years of my life were bliss. My mother and I, I had a cot next to her bed. And when the side was let down, I could roll out of the cot Uh straight into her bed, which I did often. And we would cuddle all night long. And then 1945.
0: Yeah, it's very Oedipal. It's like, suddenly, who's this guy? That's very primal stuff. You talk about how when you grow up in this situation, you often don't have, people would assume... Well, a young Sir Patrick Stewart would have big dreams. You didn't initially. You thought, oh, I guess I'll be a lorry driver, a truck driver. Yep. Because you think, you look at your world and you think this is what's possible. Yep. And then what changed?
2: What happened was a man called Cecil Dormond. He was my English teacher in my secondary modern school because I was totally not academic. In fact, <laughs> um, I was never tested. But I went to Secondary Modern School, and in my second year, the English master, Cecil Dormond, Clearly, I did I did something, uh, read something in a class, and he I saw him pay attention. And he was the first person to put a copy of Shakespeare oh my into my hand. I never held a copy of Shakespeare in my hand. And, and it, it, it was just a surprise one day in the English class. And he was handing out these books, slim little books, and said, all right, this is uh, uh, Act 4, Scene 1, and uh, okay, you're playing uh, Portia, you're playing Bassanio, you're playing Orlando, and uh, uh, Patrick, finally, you're Shylock. Wow. And uh, we read this scene, and uh, my character didn't speak for half a page or so, and then he had a speech of about 40 lines, which is one of the most famous speeches in Shakespeare. And um, I had no idea what I was saying, I was trying to say the words, though most of them I didn't understand. And yet something happened. I made a connection. I loved pronouncing these words. I was Mm -hmm. never, I'd never spoken a language like that out loud. I mean, I hadn't even spoken English when I was a child. I spoke not just with an accent. I spoke dialect. Mm -hmm. So uh, do you want an instance? Yeah, I do. Um, This is is my favorite. Uh, If I go to a neighbor's house... To ask if the lad my age is coming out, you know, for kick a ball around and everything. When he came to the door, I would say to him, Atta Laken At. A lake art. What?
1: <laughs> what?
2: Atta <laughs> At. Atta Laken At. Lake Atta lake art. At art thou. Because when I was growing up, we said thee and thou. Not because we were religious at all, but it was just the way, you know, working class West Riding people spoke. Yeah, yeah. Atta art thou. Lakin. Now, this is the amazing thing. In Shakespeare's day, actors were also known as Lakers. And I, the word I was using was playing. Lakers stood in for playing. Atta, uh, are you Lakin, playing at, out. That's oh a Lakin out. That's funny. And you didn't know the
0: derivation of any of this. You just know that's what it is. You just are saying, you don't know know what any of this is coming from.
2: No, nothing at all. But the moment came when uh, a second teacher, who was the, my book is dedicated to these two people, Cecil Dorman and Ruth Wynne Owen, who was a retired professional actress, now living with her husband in Yorkshire and teaching. And um, she said to me one day, you know, Patrick, if you really are enthusiastic about performing You've got to lose that accent. And so I started the next day right away. And for several years, I spoke with one accent at weekends when I was going to my drama classes and one accent Monday to Friday when I was in school. Because if I talked like that in the classroom... What? Yeah, yeah. got thumped. You know?
0: No, uh, the, uh, the other kids don't take kindly oh. to that. <laughs> ah, gentlemen <laughs> and kind women. Who the fuck does the thing thou <laughs> ask? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> don't, <Duh, duh, duh. laughs> I believe it's time for my jelly and peanut butter. <laughs> um, you say that you remember, this is a quote word for word, the one comment about me in a newspaper review of the first amateur production I ever appeared in. And it said, "Quote as Hopcroft Minor Patrick Stewart was barely adequate." (laughs) And you you said you remember that line for line, despite the fact that you were getting a lot of positive affirmations left and right. That still, and my God, do I know what you're talking about?
2: Yeah, uh, it it is interesting to me Mm -hmm. that it, it is memories like that that stick, and there's no possibility of them ever being removed. Barely adequate. Right, And the one thing I remember that worried me most about that was that my father might see it and it would disappoint him, Mm. I think.
0: You know, we had Harrison Ford on this podcast very recently and both of you have known a kind of success that 1% of 1% of 1% of actors will ever know. But he went on at great length. He knew the name of the man who turned him down in 1968 and told him he didn't have what it takes. And he repeated his name, I think 15 Jerry times. Tukowski. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry yeah. We all remember we it. We all remember it. <laughs> and you're thinking <laughs> how, how much, minds. there is no amount of success that you can ladle on a Sir Patrick Stewart or a Harrison Ford. There is no amount that can take that away. And this is just the blessing and the curse.
2: I'm so glad that you've told me that about Harrison. I've, I've been a huge fan, but I've always been aware in his work that there is um, some kind of internal softness, mm-hmm. a gentleness that, that occasionally just bleeds out into what he does, and he's letting it out. Oh, by the way, we have the same birthday. Oh, is that true? Yeah, 13th of July. I am one year Older than him, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but does he show respect? No. no. Does he bow before you? No.
1: <laughs> that's my mom's birthday. Oh. I'm sorry. Oh, really? <laughs> hey, well, that's three great oh. actors.
0: Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because she acts wow. like she's happy to see me every time she comes by.
2: 13th of July.
1: 13th of July. Yeah. yeah.
2: That's extraordinary.
0: We're
1: well, really excited that yeah, I we told are,
2: you
0: that. We're, <laughs>
2: we're wonderful people.
1: You yeah. are. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> yes. yes.
0: You talk about, and this is a fascinating part, And when you're a teenager, this would be traumatic for a lot of people, you start going bald as a teenager. You're completely bald. You said almost by the age, 19, 20, 21, somewhere around oh, there. Yeah. And you just decided, I'm going to make this work for me because you realized wigs. I can wear any wig in the world now because I am an actor and I play different parts.
2: Nevertheless, it wasn't easy as a le- in my late teens to find that I was losing my hair and I lost it so quickly. And I come from a family of bald men. Mm-hmm. My brothers, my father, my grandfather. Actually, no. Freedom had hair, a lot of hair. His name was Freedom Baraclough. Now that's Victorian, if ever there that was. That's wow. fantastic. It is, yeah. yes. Yeah. But one of the things I very quickly realised, because I'm, I'm quite interested in economics. Um, Brent Spiner calls it um, my poverty mentality. Mm-hmm. He said you were poor when you were little, and you've never ever got past that point. Part of you is still stuck in the poverty region, and. Uh, I think that he was right. So losing my hair felt like a failure. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, dating. Yeah. <laughs> who wants to go out with a, an 18-year-old who's just got a few... And I, I, I used to do all this combing it over, you know. And then uh, one day, uh, a director I was working with who was very, very conscious of costs said to me, oh, no, no, no. You're two actors for the price of one. <laughs> oh
1: my god.
0: <laughs> 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 These oh, are Okay, yeah, that's right. With any, with wigs, we can get three
2: rolls out of you. Yeah, that's fantastic. Exactly. And I've had some sensational wigs in my in my lifetime. Really, because you know, they say the wig maker says you were m- born to m- wear wigs, you know. Maybe it's not the biggest compliment.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you were born to wear a mask. <laughs> what? Right, right, right. So, you, so you, you're moving up in the world. You're making your way. You move to London. And there's a part in the book because you had led this very sheltered life in Mirfield. And you'd been taught all these stereotypes. And one of the stereotypes you'd been taught was don't trust the Irish. You move into a flat... And there's some Irishmen.
2: No, it was, uh, it was a lodging house. Lodging house. Okay.
0: First of all, I still believe don't trust the Irish. <laughs> yeah, Solid <laughs> and, advice. And I'm 100%. So I am, I, you come to this wonderful revelation that, no, that's wrong. These are wonderful people. I think whoever told you don't trust the Irish <laughs> was spot on. But we'll let that go for now. Um, I'm glad you had a good experience with them.
2: I had a wonderful experience. They were all young men. They'd mostly come from the west coast of Ireland, mm-hmm. um, and they, because they needed work yeah. at that time in the late forties, th- there was uh, there was a job shortage, significant one, and people were people were dying because yeah. they couldn't feed themselves. Right, and all these young guys had come over to London to get work, and they were all working on building sites. They were labourers. Uh, nobody was a skilled constructor. They were they were labourers, and they welcomed me into the—I shared a, a bedroom with one. Over the uh, first night when we had dinner, uh, one of them, he, he introduced me to everyone. They were all Irish. And he said, listen, when, when, when dinner's over. We go out because there's a pub around the corner that's very Irish-friendly. And he said, your name is Patrick. I mean, it couldn't be better. <laughs> we, can,
0: <laughs> we can introduce you to anyone. Put on this leprechaun wig. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you had this experience that, I mean, I think is absolutely mind-blowing. You were in a production in London with uh, the great Vivian Lee. You became friendly with her, and at one point, they are showing Gone with the Wind. It was a... a, 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 a re-release.
2: A, a new release, you know, that had been smartened up and tidied up and given new technology.
0: And because you're friendly, she invites you to attend with her, and she, you sit next to Vivian Lee. You sit next to Scarlett O'Hara <laughs> as you watch Gone <laughs> With the wind.
2: Well, uh, by, and by the way, just to get the the, the seating layout proper, mm-hmm. I was on her left side. On her right side was her boyfriend, mm-hmm. who was uh, a leading actor in the company we were working for, which was the London Old Vic Company mm-hmm. on tour. We were only on tour; we didn't ever play in London. And um, I mean, first of all, this invitation was wonderful. The, the reason being that. I was the humblest member of the company. I had been a last minute inclusion. Two days before rehearsals began, I got this offer and the working hands-on producer was a very unpleasant individual. And he found, he chose me as his one to go for. Mm -hmm. And he did once say in front of the whole company, Patrick, we're doing this in, 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 uh, in honor of billing. And you're at the bottom. Oh, so man. sit down. I mean, you know, you you wouldn't get away with that today. I
0: try, Just, but no, you can't. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. the- Quiet, you. Oh. <laughs> he called me
2: barely
3: adequate the other day.
0: <laughs> really,
2: yeah. yeah. What well, was in a review well, you know, the London Times? Look yeah. what happened to me.
0: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. you're going places. Oh,
2: yes. Could be a testimonial. <laughs> oh
0: my God, you've finally given me something to live for. So So, you're at this production. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or And we're sitting
2: side by side, and I am so excited and thrilled and proud to be sitting alongside her. By the way, in a dinner jacket, because we've been told, by the way, when you go on this tour, you must have dinner jackets. There'll be a lot of formal parties. Dinner jacket. I'd never owned a dinner jacket. And I went to look, and I, I couldn't possibly afford one. They were so expensive. But on Charing Cross Road, there was... A, 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 a used garment, men's used garment shop, and I went in, and there was this uh, tuxedo, and um, it, well, I don't know what it was made of, but it looked like a blanket, and it was, and it was, was huge. And I think it, it, it was a
3: blanket. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think you got conned there.
3: A the blanket. Yeah.
2: And so <laughs> I was sitting on one side of her, and her gorgeous boyfriend was sitting on the other side of her, wearing a fabulous expensive suit, and um, I saw that she was touching her face quite often. And then finally, she turned to me and she took my hand and she said, Patrick, I'm going to have to leave. This is so upsetting. You see, so many of these lovely people I worked with are dead, and it's upsetting me so much. So, Thanks for sharing this. I hope you enjoyed the night. And she got up and she and John walked out. And uh, I was so touched. She could have just left. <laughs> she didn't have to say, thank you for coming. And it's very good of you. And explain to me why she was crying. She was a superstar. Oh, God, yeah. Of, of her day, there was no actress today that's ever been bigger than, than Vivian was. And two Academy Awards, I think, as well. It wasn't just that she was fabulous looking or that she was a very, very nice person, but she had a temper. Yeah, I saw her once. There was a wonderful actress who I cannot name, but she is dead too, um, who was playing a character. in, the, And she had a leading role, very important roles. And uh, during the curtain call one night, she was on one side of Vivian and John was on the other side. I was at the back on the another row. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, this other actress leaned forward. I heard her say something to the other person who was leaning forward with her. I didn't hear what it said, but as she was standing up, Vivian, who had just been presented with a bouquet of flowers, lifted it up and hit her across the face <laughs> with the bouquet of flowers. For speaking. Yes. <laughs> and, but it, apparently she had said something Vivian didn't like. Didn't like. And yeah. um, and she erupted. Then later on, we learned that she had illnesses yes. and they were very problematic. And indeed, I think eight years later, she died of this. Um, I believe she might've had tuberculosis or
0: something like that. Yes. I think it was a lung issue. Yes. Yeah. And she also
2: had, what do they call that thing that goes up and down? You know what? I don't know. We're talking about Vivian. Oh, oh you're talking about mental illness. Yes. Oh. Yes, yes. Yeah. The bipolar disease. Bipolar. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Which never showed in her work. Uh, anyway, uh, it was a great privilege to have known her, and she was so kind. And I celebrated my 21st bir- first birthday through a party, and she came to it. Oh, my God. Uh, none of the other producers did, but Vivian came, and she gave me a golden cotton handkerchief which she had sprinkled with the perfume that she always wore. She only wore one perfume, which was called Joy by Patou. And it was wonderful. And for years, I could breathe Vivian in from the handkerchief that she'd given me. And then I moved and went different places. And about two years ago, I
0: found it. Yes. Oh, good. I was going to say, if this thing is missing, oh,
1: wow. I'm walking out smell? now.
2: No. Oh. Uh, the smell was gone, but the memories were still in place. We could get some jupe. Yes. I was oh, just, no. You know, oh,
1: no. Oh, no. You don't want to talk about it. It's a no. uh, cologne
0: that men wear. I wore it once. Um, <laughs> the dream was to be in the Royal Shakespeare Company and you made it happen, which to this day, uh, of all of your accomplishments, it might be hard to, to top that, the, being in the Royal Shakespeare Company.
2: From the moment that Cecil Dorman had put Merchant of Venice into my hand at the age of 12, right up to the age of uh, 24, 25, by which time I'd done five or six years in repertory theater, first weekly, then two weekly. I mean, I mean we played for a week, so we put on a new show every Monday night, then a fortnight, then three weeks, and then finally a Brislowicz monthly rep. And, um, and it, it was, this was a plan. It wasn't accidental. I was aiming to go up each year, if I could, because my objective was the Royal Shakespeare Company. And um, uh, they had been to see other actors when I was in Bristol. And one of them who has left us, may he rest in peace, Charlie Thomas, who was only an assistant stage manager and playing little parts. And they cast him, the Royal Shakespeare Company. They wanted him and they cast him. Why not (laughs) me? You know? Why him? Why not me? Why not me? I need this role. (laughs) (laughs) It's mine, all mine, I tell you.
0: (laughs) Come out of it. Come out of it.
2: I am a character actor. I mean, people are not aware of this. Jean-Luc Picard was a character. Sure. (laughs) Um, Charles Xavier. There you go. No, I'm a character. Yeah. Especially in Logan. Um <laughs> what next? Well, I on. was
0: just I, I was saying it's fascinating to me that the the objective was always the Royal Shakespeare Company. Yes. And you were oh, yeah. not, you were not interested, you had no ambitions in television, you didn't have ambition in uh film. Uh and then, you know, you're you're doing quite well, you've achieved your dream, and then at the age of, I believe, 45, 46 this possibility of this star trek show because you you bring up jean-luc picard you this this comes along and what i always found fascinating and and you verify in the book is you approach this as a shakespearean role you took it which i think is brilliant you said oh this is a television show and this is a you know part of a generation of you know there's an, an, another star trek i'm going to approach this as if it's lear or hamlet That's the seriousness with which I'm going to take this. It certainly served you well.
2: It did, but it also made me comfortable because I was familiar with that. However, when I came to review the first season of Next Generation, I wasn't altogether happy with the work I'd done. I thought it was too internal, too restrained, too solitary too unconnected with the others. So I resolved that from the start of the second season, I would begin to open him up and let him out. Mm -hmm. And that continued for seven years, seven years, and four movies, and then three seasons of Picard, which only wrapped about 15 months ago. It feels like you started to let yourself have more fun. Is that what it is? Well, one of my favorite moments in, in the book is telling this because I haven't told it to many people that uh, halfway through the first season of Next Generation, uh, and we were a wonderful group of, of actors. I, I fell for Jonathan and Brent and Marina and Gates and all of them very sudden, and Lavar mm-hmm. and Michael. I mustn't leave anybody out. That's it. <laughs> that's a whole lot. And, and Whoopi when she joined yeah, us. Yeah. And um, I one day I called a meeting because i i thought i'm captain of the enterprise but because i'd led companies on, in the theater i felt this should be my role here i'm a leader not just of um star trek of starfleet but of this band of people who are working these endless days 12 14 sometimes 16 hour days to get all this done and um So I called this meeting and I said, all right, um, listen, um, what it seems to me you people don't understand is that there are two sets of, of work going on here. There's the work we do and the time off that we get occasionally, you know, a day, a long weekend, and then there's the rest of the crew and people in the office who are here every single day and working brutal hours. We have got to make their lives easier. And the problem is we are having too much fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was the phrase that has still not left me today. Yeah. I mean, I heard Jonathan Frank say it to me, Yeah, I'm sorry, we're having too much fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but you and got that, over it. That was your instinct and you got over it. Yes. Yes. Because it it was limiting. Yes. Restricting. You know, and and the older I get, as I hope in part this conversation is illustrated, I get looser and I attach things that are inside myself to my outside life.
0: The first time that you came on the program, I remembered I'd not met you and I just know you by this man, this man, Royal Shakespeare Company and so accomplished and who am I to talk to him and you were... Funny and delightful and self deprecating and silly, and I think uh, that was a real gift that was a real gift to see that if someone who's accomplished all this can can let go a little bit that's a great that 's a great gift to to give to people
2: thank you. It benefits me in my life, and <clears throat> things occasionally have been said to me that have stuck and uh, had an impact. my first ever day in front, which is in the book, mm-hmm. on in front of a camera, a film camera, was in a film called Hennessy, which starred Rod Steiger. And I had half a day's work, which was me and Rod Steiger in the back of a car. And I pulled a gun on him. And it was just one scene because it didn't end up happily for me. I mean, the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, it's, a, it's a long anecdote, this. I'm not going to even start it from the beginning. But... Um, when when Rod learned that this was my first day on a film set, he said, "Oh well, what are you doing for lunch?" And I, uh, no, no, he said, "What are you doing for lunch?" <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, "Oh, I, I I don't know. I mean, what what do you do? Do you find a cafe?" He said, "No, no, no. Over there, there's a there's a counter and a bar, and you can get what you want there." And bring it to my trailer, and I said, Are "You sure yeah I'll bring it, so I did, and we had lunch sitting in his trailer. He was one of my heroes, yeah, yes, you might think it should have been Marlon Brando, and it was was it from on the waterfront, yes, yeah, yeah, and the pawnbroker,
0: mm-hmm. which is what
2: Rod won an academy Award for, yeah, yeah, but that scene with him and Brando in the back of the car. Mm-hmm. In which Rod pulled a gun on Brando, and Brando goes, "Oh, oh!" I, I just moves it aside. I fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goosebumps, goosebumps. And um, anyway, one of the things he said to me during this lunch was, uh, "Just, just as we were about to leave, I was about to go." He said uh, one thing. Was remembering the camera, photographs, thoughts. And that was all and i have never forgotten that so you, you just,
0: think you think it and the camera will see. and it. i
2: watch other actors who i admire immensely and and the work that they do and i see it on them somebody might say that face hasn't moved no but look at the eyes it's full of thoughts and you know you're you're involved and
0: so funny you say that because I just watched the other day, I hadn't seen it all the way through for years, the Steve McQueen movie, Bullet, 1968. And I watched it and what stuns me is McQueen barely moves his face in the whole movie and it's riveting. A lot of it is people yelling at him, they're angry with him, you know, this isn't you, you don't like the way you're running this investigation, what are you doing? And it's him and his eyes slightly moving side to side and you see the wheels turning and he's got all this coiled energy that he's not spending. And it's fantastic.
2: If you're not under the the the, the uh, pressure that you've gotta be doing something. Mm-hmm. You know, I often feel with some young actors, I think, you know, just do, a lot, do less, but think. The camera sees it all and it's magical. But of course those guys, Brando, Steiger, Lee J Cobb, Eva Marie Saint, all of whom, by the way, I have met, except for Brando. I had an invitation from somebody who was very close to him to go up to his house up on the, the uh, top of the Hollywood Hills. An appointment was set, and I pulled out. Yeah. Someone had said to me, he's very difficult, you know. And all I had was this memory of this brilliant, believable, real actor. And I didn't want it to be changed. I want him to remain as he was when... He, he moved Rod's gun aside yeah. and just saw the sadness in his face. It's, it's a great job if, if you're lucky and you get the work to do. And of course, right now there is no work. <laughs> well, that's why you wrote this book. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, yep. COVID and you
0: wrote this book yep. and the book is great and there's so many great uh revelations in this book. I love reading about how you heard that Frank Sinatra was a fan of Star- of your Star Trek and I just imagine <laughs> Frank Sinatra said uh, get out of here. I got to watch <laughs> punching somebody and then saying shut up. Star Trek's on next generation. Uh I just love that. I love that. And uh and I just I love that um my favorite people have careers that define categorization and I think that's you fit that beautifully because it's, there's so many different phases. You've done so many different things. Uh, you've put on so many different hats slash wigs, and then you write this book, which is beautiful and ultimate, ultimate respect. Really? This is, uh, this is quite an achievement. And I love that you are still, you're still in it. You are still, you're still interested in trying something new. You know, you're still interested in what's next. And, uh, I think that's next.
2: What's different. Yeah. Something new, please. Yeah, yeah. I guess I get offered, you know, jobs in space. <laughs> Two or three no, you're times You're stuck a year. in that, huh? I, you know, I try to say, no. I,
0: it's I, King I, Lear in space. Yes. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. No, and it's my idea. Listen, I'm going to set you up an appointment. You call Gavin Pallone. <laughs> he'll take care of you I get okay. 80% you get 20 oh. trust me we can work oh. on the numbers but it's 80-20 okay. and it doesn't change
2: thank you Conan good generous gentleman
0: uh, hey I, I cannot thank you enough for taking time for us you're a huge deal and this is uh, this is a big deal for us so making it so a memoir Patrick Stewart and if you don't buy this book you're a fool you're a fool not you I'm, not, I'm looking at you but you are not a fool sir you were far from a fool. You are a fool. Yes, yes.
2: <laughs> oh, yes. That's a, I played Touchstone once. <laughs> I played Touchstone. You did? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah. The fools. It's, it's a good role. Yeah. And he's not just a com- funny. He's kind of tragic as well, you know, which... All the really film. funny
0: ones are... Oh
2: boy!
3: Oh,
0: oh boy! Oh, that's oh, so Did I ruin a moment? Yeah, here? <laughs> you ruined the whole thing. Did I make it about the whole myself? Thing. Let's go again from the top, Sir Patrick Stewart. Onward uh, and uh, and break a leg in all your endeavors. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. <laughs> if you work in B two B. This one's for you. Yep. No one knows what you do, but fortunately, LinkedIn has the people who do. I'm talking about LinkedIn ads. It's a B2B ad platform that's business to business.
1: There it is.
0: Yep. And it's also a boy band I almost started. <laughs> and it's a, biz- it's a platform that allows companies to advertise their products or services. You can target professionals by title, function, industry, and more. Generate leads, drive website traffic, and build brands awareness with LinkedIn ads. Business-to-business advertising is about reaching the right people, and LinkedIn has over, get this, 70 million decision makers on their platform. Yep, with LinkedIn ads, you can reach the people who really need to know what you do. Now, listen, it gets even better, too, because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. That's not bad. Just go to linkedin.com slash Team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be. To be. I like to support the people around me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Why is that the biggest laugh in a while? I do. Oh my
1: god! I like
0: to lift and elevate those Pick around out me. out
1: my water. Like my to
0: punch down and oh, bury. My wow. only joy, my only real joy, is watching those around me thrive. By the way, I'm I'm a hostage right now. I'm being I'm being held at gunpoint and being forced to read this. <laughs> no, I I, uh, I do. I'm happy, but then there are limits. There are limits. And Matt Gorley, a very talented uh, fellow, you know, works on this podcast. You add so much to the chitter chatter, but then behind the scenes, you're constantly making all these uh, great edits and audio choices, and you're putting it all together and getting it out to the people of the world. So I do commend you for that. But then you have these other projects. And um, I'm trying to think of the way to put this. It enrages me (laughs) that you would ever divert your eye from this. I mean, this is a golden egg. This is a lightning in a bottle, what we have here. And yet every time I turn around, you say, well, I got to get going now. I'm going to go work on Gloop Dilly Gloop. And I'm like, what's that? And you're like, oh, it's, a, it's in one of my 700 other podcasts that I do. You have one called Mall Walking. Is that right?
3: Yeah, that's a culturally significant and important podcast where my friend Mark and I just record ourselves walking through America's malls.
0: Mm-hmm. And you've been uh, manhandled during that. During those recordings, haven't you? Have you? Yes,
3: yeah, Sona joined us once and we
0: got kicked out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you make, you make it sound like it was we got kicked out because of me. No, oh,
0: okay, no, you, were, you were. What did you shoplift? Just curious.
1: How dare you? How, what did you? Well, one time. When How we dare did you? It, have
0: you shoplifted in the past? No, we for, did reparations.
1: Well, yeah, we went to the store that I did shoplift from, and then we, I apologized.
0: Oh, good. All right, that's uh,
3: and we bought something from the store to atone. Yeah, that's yeah. nice. Okay.
1: Well, you, Matt, Matt, did. <laughs> yeah. So, like so
0: you anyway. have these yeah. other you have, and you have a lot of other projects as well.
3: It's true, and I look at those as moonlighting. This is my day job. This is, you know, I'm I take this seriously.
0: You do. Prince. I, I mean, uh, I just worry that even though they existed before this podcast, but still, I know. But come on, okay, yeah. This, but you know, you're a guy that's. Uh, been mucking around uh, making little sculptures and then you got a chance to work on i mean this is the parthenon it sits upon is it? Uh, uh, you know this is a well, massive structure I that sits know. uh on a simple. high mesa in a uh, hill in athens and people look or, at it and uh, marvel it's at its beauty corporate
3: entity that's rotting america from within think, uh, well an
0: apt analogy yeah, yeah you say tomato i say tomato <laughs> okay but the important thing uh is that you do have these other podcasts and even I have to admit, someone with a Grinch, shriveled heart like me, I have to admit that you do have these other ideas that sound cool, uh, and you have these other projects that, that sound like they're kind of interesting, and you've got this new one that I heard about. Adam mentioned it to me in the hall today, and I said, wait a minute, that sounds like a really good idea. I'd listen to that, uh-huh. and I, I wanted to bring it up on the air.
3: That's very nice of you. I mean, I will say that my podcasts are stupid. This one is legit. Cause oh, this is
0: erudite. It, it is.
3: <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because my wife and I are doing it together, and she adds a level of respectability that I cannot bring.
0: Well, okay, let's talk about this, because the project that you're working on uh, is called Keys to the Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting... Is it's about the experience of working at a theme park, and first of all, that's how you met your wife. is That's that right? right.
3: We're both recovering theme park employees. She was a former princess. She played a bunch of princesses. I was just kind of a actor, performer, improv person there, mm-hmm. and we met at Universal Studios that we both worked at Disney together. And through the years, we were beset through crazy stories of shit that goes on there that you wouldn't believe. And this whole podcast is like a eight-episode docuseries of people telling stories about when they worked there.
0: You guys are the hosts, and then you're talking to a bunch of people you know who've, who are coming forward and just telling you the funny, crazy things that happened to them while they were working in theme parks.
3: Yeah, and some people we don't know, and some people actually that are going under assumed names and having their voices changed because They're either worried about job security or past job security. They might not even work there, and they still don't want to upset certain theme parks. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek Watergate expose. Oh. (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: I thought the original Watergate expose (laughs) was kind of (laughs) (laughs) tongue-in-cheek.
3: We're treating it like we're busting the lid off something, when in fact, we're just having a good time with some stories that are really ridiculous, some stories that are kind of spooky. And then Sona was a guest as well, and she tells her story of getting busted by the Disney police trying to smuggle in edibles to the park. Yeah, Yeah,
0: I did. Yeah. And also, you don't even need to tell me what it was because you could guess (laughs) what Sony got in trouble (laughs) for. It usually revolves around a certain theme. Uh, But Keys to the Kingdom and how do people listen to Keys to the Kingdom? It's anywhere
3: you can find podcasts. It's out now. You can subscribe on any podcast player. There's uh, also eight behind the scenes bonus episodes with extra material that you can get in the show notes of the uh, podcast.
0: Like I said, I would listen to this because as someone who every time I go to a theme park, my mind... Is racing, wondering what's really going on it's here, crazy. and there's no way to find out because you can't just ask people. But uh, it sounds like you have you've blown the lid off this story. It's a
3: crazy, creepy cult, and I'm happy to be out of it
0: but yeah. also uh, all respect to these major companies <laughs> oh
1: god
0: and uh, I look forward to doing business with you in the future because I didn't just say that well anyway uh, look out for it keys to the kingdom I'm I'm excited for you
3: thank you this was very nice of you to do too by well the way. this will never air okay I'll just make sure <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not even this... being recorded yeah no, <laughs> no no
0: no. make sure this never ever airs that's okay. I just want points for doing it and then just make sure it never really happens okay cool that's the Conan formula <laughs>
3: <laughs> conan o'brien needs a friend with conan o'brien sona mufsessian and matt gorley produced by me matt gorley executive produced by adam Sachs, nick Liao, and jeff ross at team coco and colin anderson and cody fisher at your wolf theme song by the white stripes incidental music by jimmy vivino take it away jimmy Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Eduardo Perez. Additional production support by Mars Melnick. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 669-587-2847 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend wherever fine podcasts are downloaded.